we're going to look at a, a specific psalm, and that psalm speaks in a way that actually the whole Bible does an awful lot. It speaks about our life as a journey. All throughout Scripture, you see life being portrayed as this, this kind of travel that we make, this journey, and you see it all over the place. First Thessalonians 2 says that we should walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Our life is a walk. Hebrews takes it even a step further. Hebrews says that our life is a race. It says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And the race that we have to run is not a race where we're trying to beat other people to the finish line, but this race that we're all in is one where we'll, we, we will be tested. So scripture all over the place, it talks about our life as a journey, as a crossing. But that's the way that we talk to ourselves and that we talk to other people too. We talk about life being kind of like a journey so that when you talk to somebody about how they're doing, you say, how's it going? We're using that go verb. And when somebody replies, they'll do the same thing. They'll say, well, I'm getting along. I'm getting there. Things are going okay, or if they're not, you might have somebody say, I feel stuck. I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. So inherently, we feel like life is a journey. What you're doing is this kind of crossing or a race, but there's something else that you feel inherently, I would suspect, that you feel like this journey that you're making is one that you're making alone. There's something inside of us that sort of feels that way, that even though that there are sometimes people that are sort of close to us and sort of far away, we feel like we're alone. We know that there are people traveling with us, but they might leave us at some point in some way or another. So we're making this journey, but we feel like we're alone. The psalm that we're going to look at, it's a famous psalm. It's one that I bet many of you know. It's Psalm 23, and it affirms and says that our life is a journey. It's a race but it also tells us that we are not making this journey alone. That there is one who is with us. He is a good shepherd, and he is traveling with us on this journey. And what I want to do with you today is look at this psalm. It's a gift to us, and it's a gift to be able to see that our shepherd is with us, and we're going to look at where he's leading us to. But before we get there, I would like to read this psalm with you. You know, I didn't go to church very often when I was a kid, but I think I stuck around just enough that Somewhere along the way, I sort of picked up Psalm 23, or at least a lot of it. So maybe you and I, would you do this with me now? Would you please pray? Would you please say Psalm 23 with me? It's going to come up here on the screen. Let's pray Psalm 23 together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dear friends, this is God's word. It is absolutely true, and it was given to us in love. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, now, 
let this time that we are all experiencing together, this time where we look at your word, would you please speak? Speak through my words and speak through all the thoughts and feelings of all of our hearts, each one of us that you've gathered here, and help us to know how much you love us and help us to love you back. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our life is a journey, but we have a shepherd. We're not alone. But in the word picture of this psalm, the question I want you to think about for a moment is, where is our shepherd? Sometimes we can't see our shepherd. It's hard for us to discern that he's there. Where is our shepherd? Well, at least according to the scriptures, he's out there in front of us. He is leading us. Some of you know that there are two different kinds of shepherds in the world. There are Western shepherds and there are Eastern shepherds. Western shepherds, for the most part, push their flocks. The shepherds of Europe and the Americas, they're on horses, they have dogs, now they're even on ATVs, and they're pushing their flock along where the flock needs to go. But not so Eastern shepherds. Eastern shepherds lead their flocks. They're out in the front. The shepherds of Asia and the Middle East, they lead their shepherds, and we know that our shepherd is one who is out there in the front. He's an Eastern shepherd. We know this not only because this poem comes from the ancient Near East, we also know it because this is how Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So our shepherd is out in front of us and we are following him. And this is the picture that we have in the psalm. And that's actually what I want us to do today. I want us to follow our shepherd through this psalm. I want us to go verse by verse, and as we do that, we're going to discover what our shepherd is leading us to. Our shepherd is leading us to four things. Our shepherd is leading us to provision. Our shepherd is leading us to consolation. Our shepherd is leading us to a vocation, and our shepherd is also leading us to a destination, and you don't have to remember all four of those right now. I'll go one by one when we get there. So let's look at the first thing that our shepherd is leading us to. Our shepherd leads us to a provision. You see that in verses two and three of this psalm. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is a picture of a shepherd who is leading his sheep to provision. Just a fancy way of saying that he provides for them what they need. He provides everything that his sheep need. So verse two says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Sheep need food. And the food for sheep is green pastures. It's a place for them to have sustenance to make sure that they can live their lives. Now, that's the kind of sustenance. That's the kind of provision that the sheep in the psalm need. Now, what kind of provision do you and I need that we are sheep as well? What kind of provision do we need? We need the same things. We need food, we need clothing, we need shelter, we need protection. And what this psalm is doing is it's giving us an opportunity to push back against this feeling that we all have that there's nobody with us. It's a way to remind us that all of the gifts that we have, all the gifts that we've been given, even those physical gifts of food, of shelter, they're all gifts for God. So let's just be very simple and basic right here. Will you do something with me? Would you meditate for a moment on the ways that God has provided for you? You can close your eyes, you can leave them open, it's up to you, but think for a moment how God has provided for you the food that you eat and the shelter that you've been given, the clothing that you wear. 
It's so simple. It's so easy to look past. And it's so easy to believe that we have no shepherd. But this is a shepherd who provides for us. He is a shepherd who leads us to provision. We're not making this journey of life alone. It keeps going at the end of verse two. It says, he leads me beside still waters. That's a different kind of provision. That is a provision of rest. It's a provision of restoration. These are sheep who have been walking through the desert for a long time. They need something to keep them cool. They need something that's going to restore them. So our shepherd leads us to restoration, to provision. Now, those sheep need cool water. What do we need for rest and restoration? Well, we need water too. We need clean, cool water. Do you remember when you were a kid and you were running around in the gymnasium during, um, during recess? And finally, it was time to get to the drinking fountain and everybody was lined up in a row and you finally got up there. There's something about a drinking fountain. That water just tastes better. You get up there, it would quench your thirst. But there are lots of other kinds of restoration that we need too. We need sleep, which refreshes our body. We need days off from work. We need vacations where we can get away and be with those that love us and that we love. We need people who sit with us when our hearts are breaking and who can be there for us to listen. All of those ways of restoration, that's what your shepherd leads you to. So can you do this again for me? Can you close your eyes or not? Whichever way will help you to meditate upon this. The little ways that God has led you to be restored, to rest, the sleep that you receive, the vacations, the rest, the shalom. You are not alone. God is leading you to these things. Here's the last one. This one's a little different. The other ones that I talked about were more physical. This is a little bit more, well, spiritual, I guess you could say. Verse three says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Paths of righteousness, that's just simply a way of saying a life of love, a life of kindness and compassion to the people around you, a life of justice. And this Psalm says that our shepherd who walks with us on our journey, is leading us into paths of righteousness. And we need this. Because if we don't follow our shepherd, we will be prone to wander into the weeds. We will be liable to begin to major in the minor things in life. But this says that our shepherd doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to lead us in good paths, paths of righteousness. Would you meditate just for a moment? Just think. Have there been times in your life when you've been able to walk away from the darkness and into the light. It didn't seem like your own power. It didn't even seem like your own idea, but you were able to do it. He was leading you into paths of righteousness. Can you think of a time when your mind and your heart were captured and you said, I want to do something for these people, for this person, for this situation. All of these good gifts of provision for the things that we need, that we wear, that we eat, that we drink, our rest, even into paths of righteousness, lives, good lives to live. This is what our shepherd is giving us. And this is why I want us to look at this. It's very simple. We could look past it. But all of these things are their gifts that God has given us. That's what the book of James says. Every good and perfect gift that comes to us comes from our Father above. That's the first thing that I want us to see that our shepherd leads us to provision. We don't walk alone and he provides for us everything we need. Here's our second point. And it's that our shepherd leads us to consolation. Our shepherd leads us to consolation. Buckle in, friends. It's going to get a little harder now. 
23, verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I know I'm not supposed to say this because I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to say that I like every verse of Scripture so much. I don't think I like this verse of Scripture very much. Because this psalm is saying that our shepherd leads us. Where does he lead us to? Paths of righteousness and cool streams and green pastures and a vacation house in the mountains. He's leading us to all these wonderful things. What does this verse say? Where else is he leading us to? He's leading us to the valley of the shadow of death. In this psalm, the person that's there, the sheep that are there, they're not there by accident. And so you can see here why sometimes it's hard for you to see that God is with you. Why? Because you're in the valley of the shadow. You can't see. It's dark. It's a little bit difficult to see. He's up there in front of us, and we're not sure where he is. All of a sudden, the valley of the shadow of death obstructs what we can see. And so we've looked at trying to think about, well, what does this mean for us? What is the pasture for us? What is the cool water for us? What is the valley of the shadow of death for you and I? And there's many awful ways to define it. That valley is the valley of loneliness. That valley is the valley of anxiety and depression. That valley is the valley of dislocation and disconnection, of families broken up and relationships ended. This valley is the valley of injustice. It's the valley of injustices that are done to individuals, and it's also the injustice that exists in structures and principalities and powers in this world. The valley is the valley of death that all of us have to walk through. And so this passage says that our shepherd is leading us there. And here is where we can get a little bit of a gift There is a gift given to us by this passage, by this prayer, because it's telling us that when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, it's not because you've done something wrong necessarily. It's not because you have gone off the path and gone in the wrong way. This passage says that sometimes our shepherd leads us there. Sometimes the one, he is the one that leads us there. And because that's the case, we can begin to see the shadow in a different light we can begin to see the valley of the shadow in a different light. That might sound a little counterintuitive, seeing a shadow in a different light, but listen to me now. For there to be shadow, there has to be light. For there to be shadow, that means something is obstructing light. And therefore, as we are told here that we're in the valley of the shadow, it means that God is there with us. It means the light is there too, and it might be difficult to see, but the truth is that God is always in that valley with you. It's not a matter of you going off the path. Sometimes he's leading us there. And what I want us to see also here is not that loneliness is good and not that brokenness is good and not that death is good. That's not at all. But there is a gift to being in the valley of the shadow. And here it is. I want us to take us a look at this verse again. Verse 23, verse 4. Here's a little bit of a instruction on how to do Bible study. Take a look at this verse. Think about it. And as you look at this verse, here's the number one question you should be asking yourself. When you look at a verse of scripture, don't ask, how do I feel about this? You can ask that later. The first and most important thing is not, do I agree with this? Not, what does this mean for me? The very most important question you can ask is, what is this saying? What is this saying? What is being communicated? 
And what I want you to notice about what is being communicated here is that when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the person saying this prayer can say, you are with me. So often we see the shadow and we say, this is the shadow. It's the shadow. I don't know if I can handle this. And this says, you can also say, you are with me. Anytime you're in that situation, you can pray this prayer and it's true. You are with me. And you can also say that you will fear no evil. And why? Because the valley isn't scary. No, the valley is very scary. Evil is very scary. It's bigger than us. We can't make it through the valley without him. But what we can also say is that he is with us. We can't make it through the valley on our own, but this says that God is with you. And that makes the valley of the shadow of death one of the gifts that God gives us. I don't say that flippantly because I know that some of you right now are in the valley. I only preach to two kinds of people. I preach to people who are in the valley and I preach to people who are going to be in the valley pretty soon. That's the only kind of two people that I could ever preach to. So I don't say with flippancy or easily, that sometimes the valley is a gift. But sometimes when our shepherd leads us there, it is a gift to us. Because that'll be the moment when you actually begin to cry out to God. It'll be the moment when you actually cry out looking around for God. God, where are you? When things are going well for me, I don't call out to God all that much. It's a little difficult for me to do what we did in that first point. When I think about all the things that I have to say, God, thank you for those things. But when somebody that I know is in trouble, I begin to call out. When I myself feel like I am in the dark, I call out. I feel scared. And one of the gifts that we are given is that when we are there, we can cry out to God and say, you are with me. That's a good prayer to pray when you're in the valley. You are with me. Whenever you're in the dark, whenever you feel that shadow, say, you are with me. That's a good prayer to pray. And I would commend that prayer to you because if you don't pray that prayer, you will end up praying another kind of prayer. You know that's the case? You know that everybody prays? I mean, all the time you're doing it. You're doing it in your car, and you're doing it when nobody else is around. We're always praying in our minds. We're always having thoughts that go through our head, and they're kinds of prayers. That when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, if you don't say, you are with me, what you might begin to say is, I'm so stupid. This is my fault that I'm here. I can't believe this is happening. I'm alone. You'll begin to pray those kinds of prayers. Those kinds of words will be able to go, begin to go through your mind. And the gift here is that we have something else that we can pray, something that's true. Because make no mistake, you will be praying something. There's all kinds of thoughts and words always going through our head. I wonder if anybody here knows the name Dina Castor. Dina Castor is one of the most successful distance runners in American history. She has the American Marathon record. She won a bronze medal in 2004 in the Olympics. And Dina Castor began to analyze the thoughts that went through her mind on those many long runs, those races that she was running. And she realized that the words that were going through her mind were words like, you'll never do, be able to do this. You're a failure. You won't be able to reach that goal. You're not fast enough. You didn't train hard enough. You didn't train hard enough because you're not strong enough. These things were going through her mind. I don't know if she would have called them prayers, but I think they were. And so she began to think about these. She realized that these kinds of thoughts that were going through her head, they weren't making her faster, they were making her slower. 
they were holding her feet down to the ground. And so she began to think about other ways to be able to try to speak in her mind. And I want to read to you just briefly from her memoir. As those thoughts went through her mind, she would say, oh, you're doing it again. I said to myself when I became aware of negativity, I was careful not to rebuke myself and therefore wind up being negative about being negative. But I told myself, find a thought that serves you better. Find a thought that serves you better. She needed something that was going to serve her better rather than those dark thoughts, those prayers that weren't getting her anywhere. Now, listen, I'm not advocating the power of positive thinking. I'm not telling you, hey, Renaissance, keep your head up. When you get the dark thoughts, just think happy thoughts, think uplifting thoughts, and don't let, don't let them get you down. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that you need true things to pray. That rather than praying, I'm alone, which is a lie, that you can pray something true, you are with me. That rather than believing that you've gotten yourself into this bad predicament and you're the one who deserves to suffer, instead to pray the reality that you have a shepherd who is leading you and who is with you. That's a true prayer that you can pray to your shepherd. That he is leading you and he consoles you. He brings you consolation when you're in the valley. That's the second point. Here's the third point. Our shepherd leads us to vocation. And vocation is a word that you might associate with something more religious. That's not what I mean. Take a look down here at verse five. I'm getting this from verse five, which says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Here is where we learn that our shepherd is leading us to a vocation. And you see it where it says, you anoint my head with oil. Now, whenever you see oil in the Bible, it's almost always one of two things. One thing that it might be is a sign of healing. You see this in the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan sees a man who's injured on the road, and he applies oil to the wound. That's one of the things that oil does. It helps to heal. And if you read this psalm and you thought about this anointing with oil as healing, it would work that when you are on the path of your life and you feel hurt when you are injured, your shepherd is going to anoint you with oil and heal you. That would work. But there's another way to interpret this. There's another way to see it. And it's the second way that the Bible always talks about oil. And it's that oil was used to anoint people and ordain them to an office, to the office of a priest. The way that a priest would be ordained is he'd be anointed with oil on his head and sometimes his lips and sometimes his heart. And it says here that those of us, we sheep who are following Jesus, we're gonna be anointed to be priests too. And not a priest or a pastor like I am. I'm ordained to be a pastor. But the Bible is very, very clear that all of us have very many vocations. And one of the vocations that all of us is called to by Jesus is to be a priest, each one of us. The Bible's really clear. It's not just for a certain set of people. It's to be a priest in the service of Jesus. And a priest does a very simple thing. He or she stands between God and the people around them. So if you are a priest, you are representing God to the people around you. You bring God's love and you share it with the people around you. You bring God's care and you share it with the people around you. That's how you become a priest to the people around you. And you also take the concerns and the cares of the people around you and you bring them to God. You come up like a priest and you say, God, I want you to be with my friend. I want you to be with her. She's in trouble. 
You intercede like a priest and you say, I want you to be with this man. He's my enemy, but I want you to bless him anyway. You become a priest. That's your vocation that your shepherd is leading you to. Have you followed your shepherd to that vocation to be a priest? It's very easy to want to follow the shepherd into the green pastures and the still waters and the paths of righteousness, but to follow your shepherd to be a priest for that vocation. Have you done that? And how would you answer that question if you had? Here's one way to think about it. You may remember the TV show become movie Mission Impossible, yes? Mission Impossible begins with a mission being given to a spy. It comes and it's a contraption that gives it the, the, the message, if you take this mission and should you choose to take it on, and then the thing explodes and nobody sees it again, but the spy has gotten the message. He knows what the mission is. And then the rest of the movie or the rest of the TV show is one where that spy is trying to take on that mission. So let's say you came over to my house and I was watching Mission Impossible, but you didn't see the opening scene where you found out what the mission was. You just got there just after that. You could still discern what the mission was of the person who got the message just by seeing what that person did. So if all of a sudden you saw that person with blueprints for a bank and digging materials to get under a fence and further blueprints that showed where the most expensive diamonds were and a uniform that looked like a clerk, you would say, ah, the mission is to go get the diamonds. Everything would be in service to that mission. You wouldn't even have to know what it was. So let's say somebody looked at a movie of your life this week and they didn't see the beginning where you went to Renaissance Church and you came and you said, Jesus is Lord and he is a good shepherd and he's leading me to be a priest on behalf of the people around me. Let's say that the person didn't see that first scene in your movie. What would they discern your mission to be if they saw the rest of the week? If they saw what you did when you were with your friends and then they get to see what you're doing when you're alone. If they got to see what you did at work and they got to see what you did when you got home. Would they be able to discern that your vocation was of as a priest? And I'm not saying that to shame any of us. It'd be difficult for any of us to look at our lives and say, yeah, I'm doing that perfectly but it does mean that you and I are called to something beautiful. You know, Renaissance, each one of you brings something beautiful, some way of your being a priest that nobody else can do, people that only you know, people that only you know their deepest wounds. Only you could be a priest to them, and God wants to use you in that way, that you have gifts innumerable. And right now, if you're saying to yourself, I don't have that many gifts, I don't have that many resources, do you notice where you get ordained and anointed to be a priest? Where does it happen? It happens in the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes, friends, the people with broken hearts are best able to be priests. People who have experienced the most suffering are able to be servants of Jesus in a way that other people can't. So, friends, you have a vocation. Your shepherd is leading you to be a priest for those around you, a vocation which you can embrace. So here's my last point. Our shepherd is leading us to a destination. You see that in verse six. It's the way that the psalm kind of sums up everything that's gone before. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the destination to which our shepherd is taking us. He's taking us to the house of the Lord. That's the destination. Now, what does that mean? What is the house of the Lord? 
What is the destination that you're on your way to? Is the destination, what? The house of the Lord. Is it this church building? Well, no. No, this isn't the house of the Lord. This is a wonderful place that God has given to us that we're going to be able to use to worship God and to serve God and to love God and to invite people into his love. But it's not our destination. It's not the house of the Lord. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does that mean heaven? No. No, the house of the Lord is not heaven here. Make no mistake, heaven is a place that God has opened up to us through the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. We can be invited into God's presence forever, but that's not what it's talking about here. Look again. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is talking about a whole life that consists of walking together with God and walking together with God's people. I want to talk especially to those of you who are students, middle school students, high school students, folks maybe who have graduated from high school. Look, you're going to have to figure out whether or not you're going to follow Jesus going forward. Your mom and dad make you go to middle school group now, They might go to a high school group now, but sooner or later, you're going to have to answer that question for yourself. And the question is going to be, why should I follow Jesus? Is Jesus the one that I should follow? Is he going to give meaning to my life? Is he the one that has the authority that I need to follow? And if the only answer that you can come up with is, well, at the end of my life, I'll go to heaven, then it's going to be putting something off to the very, very end, and you're thinking, I don't know, that doesn't apply right here. But this prayer, which is ours, which has been given to us as a gift, says that what you follow Jesus for, what he's calling you to, is not just something at the end of your life. It consists of your whole life right now. Goodness and mercy following you all the days of your life, even when you're in the valley of the shadow of death. This prayer isn't talking about what happens after we die. It's talking about what we're doing here with the life that God has given us now. And we have this prayer where we can confess, we have a shepherd, he's leading us. He's giving us something to do right now. He's giving us consolation now. He's giving us provision now. The house of the Lord is not some ethereal place out in the world or up in heaven. The house of the Lord right now is when you and I sit together and we pray for one another. And the house of the Lord is when you and I sing together here at this place or in our homes. The house of the Lord is when communities get together from our church, encouraging one another and helping one another. Dear friends, you do not make your journeys alone. You are not running this race all by yourself. You are running it with the body of Christ and you're running it with your good shepherd. So be not afraid. Fear not. He is with you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you are our good shepherd. And we ask that you would help us to see you even when it's dark. Help us to see you when we are in the good times, the green pastures, the still waters. And help us to see you also when we are passing through the valley. Lord Jesus, you are our good shepherd who also gives us a vocation. I pray that you would help each person here to discover the ways that you want to use them as a priest as a friend, as a mentor, as one who listens, as one who speaks. Give us wisdom and guide us. We can't do it without you. We give you thanks that you have provided for us a destination, not only a heaven that will come after we die, 
but also a life of goodness and mercy that happens even right now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.